Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. I'm excited to share today's message with everyone. It's been a great series all year. I'm actually a little sad, to be honest, at the same time, because I'm thinking of the fact that the year's almost over. So we've been on this journey of going through the entire Bible, book by book, every Sunday since the beginning of the year in January. And we're almost at the end of it. I can't believe it, actually. Uh, This journey of being anchored in God's word by going through each book of the Bible. I think it's been an amazing experience. I hope it's been the same for you as well. I hope it's been more than just hearing God's word and you getting a whole bunch of head knowledge. I hope it's been more than that, that you've actually been taking his word home, praying on it, allowing it to seep into your heart and do God's work. If that hasn't been the case, it's a perfect time to start. See, I'm convinced that God's greatest miracle is this. It's a transformed life. And if you're sitting here and you believe that God needs to transform something in your life, maybe all of it, maybe parts of it, whatever it may be, you know, understand this is how he does it. He does it through his word. He uses his word as a a sword that pierces your heart. And what it does is it confronts your sinful nature and reveals his godly nature. That's how he uses it. So if you haven't started that in this journey, I hope you start today because that's how he does this. And then what happens is his word goes into your heart. It gets planted as a seed and starts uh, starts, uh, getting rooted inside of your heart. And this process of a miracle of changing your life begins. But that only happens when it gets down into your heart. It can't stay just in your mind. My prayer in this morning is that God's word preaches all of our hearts, confronting our sin, confronting our fears, our worry, our doubt, our guilt, our unforgiveness, our pride, and that we respond to it by giving him the space to transform us. That's a decision we have to make now. That response is completely up to us. Today, we're going to get into the book of Philippians. And it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. If you've noticed, he's written a whole lot of letters in the New Testament. Like he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a big guy in the New Testament. This letter was written around AD 61. So again, to give perspective, Jesus was crucified sometime around AD 30. So this is just about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion. It only has four chapters. So it's a short book in that sense. And its original audience was the Church of Philippi. Philippi was named after King Philip II, which I didn't realize this. That was, he was an important dad. You know who his, dad, who his son was? Alexander the Great. Philippi II was actually the father of Alexander the Great. And that's, this town was named after him when he conquered it and then renamed it, the city. It was a major Greek city that was eventually abandoned in the 1300s. And you can still visit the ruins of this city of Philippi today. You can still visit it. It's, it's actually still around. The ruins, at least, are still around. Now, the church of Philippi was founded by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary trip. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. It tells us of when Paul and Silas visited the city of Philippi and preached the gospel of Jesus. This city was full, full of uh, Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people. And when, when Paul presented the gospel of Jesus, they believed in him. They took, they took it as, you know, they believed in him and they took it as faith. They received this message. 
and the church was started in this city. The purpose of this letter was to uh, thank the church of Philippi for the money they sent Paul while he was imprisoned, and also the, the, like, uh, the helper that they sent him. They sent him Epaphroditus. He was one of the, you, you could say one of the leaders in the church, but someone from that church went there to support Paul while he was imprisoned and also to give him the money. But, but finally, not only did Paul want to thank them for this, but he also wanted to give them encouragement. So he encouraged them with some word about guidance on Christian living as pretty much the, the, the whole, uh, all of his letters really did, right? And as I mentioned, Paul was in prison during the time of this letter. He was in prison in Rome. Now, he was arrested many times throughout his ministry, but this time was a little bit different. He wasn't in an actual jail. He was pretty much on house arrest with a guard. So let me read what the, the description is in the book of Acts that tells you his situation. Acts 28 verse 16 says this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he was in basically in house arrest in a house, right? And there was a soldier guarding him at all times. And then a little later in that same chapter, actually the ending of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. A paradox is a statement or an idea that seems to contradict, but in the end actually proves some type of truth. There's a paradox, a major paradox in this book of the Philippians, this letter to the Philippians. And this is the paradox. The paradox of Paul's letter to the Philippians is while he was imprisoned awaiting a trial, he wrote a letter that was mostly about being sad, you know, being depressed, you know, feeling like he was wrongly, um, you know, wrongly accused, right? Is that what the letter's about? Not at all. He wrote a letter that was mostly about joy. He was in prison, right? I mean, in his house, right? In his little house, but he couldn't get out of the house. There was a guard outside the whole time, right? He had no phone to play with, no internet, no Wi-Fi, couldn't watch TV, no Netflix, couldn't call people on the phone. What he did was write letters, right? Had people visit him. And of course, that was great. But at the end of the day, he was still on lockdown. He didn't have freedom. And then he writes a letter about joy. Let me, let's look at what Paul went through in his life, as, specifically in his Christian life, just to give a little bit more perspective of this paradox. Second Corinthians talks about some of the suffering he went through. Check this out. Ready? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. By the way, this is something that he wrote in response to some false teachers that infiltrated the church. So this is why he starts talking about this. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, he was whipped in five different occasions. 40 lashes, that's a whole lot. Three times I was beaten with rods. Imagine a rod is like a thick stick, really hard stick, beaten three times. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers 
I've labored and toiled and have, gotten gone, have, have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Think of all he went through, and now he's under house arrest with a guard, watching him 24-7, and he's writing a letter about joy. Do you see the paradox? It seems like a huge contradiction, but you're going to realize he's actually revealing a great truth in his letter. See, Paul's letter to the Philippians destroys this myth, and the myth is this, ready? The myth is, your joy depends on your circumstance. That's the myth. And you might be wondering, you might be thinking, some of you might be thinking, Joe, I know that. No, I can have joy without my circumstances. We live this. We struggle with this on a daily basis. We often think our joy depends on our circumstance. Paul teaches us through this letter that your joy does not depend on your circumstance. Now, this is in sharp contrast with today's society. A quick side note, I'm not going to separate the words joy and happiness for this teaching. Um, I'm going to use those words interchangeably. The reason is because the Bible doesn't seem to make a distinction between their definitions. Um, The Bible seems to use these words almost interchangeably, joy, delight, gladness, happiness. As far as their, their meaning, it's very similar. What it does distinguish, what it does separate is their sources. So the distinction of the Bible, I'm sorry, the distinction the Bible does make, however, is in the varied sources of joy, gladness, delight, happiness. It definitely points out the distinction of where it comes from. But back to the point, in our country here in the U.S., we're obsessed with happiness. We're obsessed with being happy. It was a great song, by the way. I did enjoy the song. Who enjoyed Pharrell's song when it came out back in the day, Happy? You know, you still, you know, it's, you know it's a popular song when you hear it on, on Christian radio sometimes. It'll be in the background. It's like, wait, is that Pharrell in the background, 90.1? That's a little confusing here. But hey, I get it. It's a fun song. But in this country, we're obsessed with the idea because we view, we view happiness as the ultimate goal in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy. Don't get me wrong. You know, being happy is a good thing. In fact, I would even say that God is commanding it in this book. He's commanding it through this book, through this letter. But the source of your happiness is what makes the big difference. It's the source of your happiness. Think about it. People cheat on their spouses to feel happy. People spend a lot of money buying things like recklessly, new clothes, new cars, to feel happy. People quit their jobs and find new ones to feel happy. You can probably extend that list with a thousand other things. Some of these things are blatantly sinful, right? Cheating on your spouse is blatantly sinful. You can't justify that in any way, shape, or form. You can't. You can't. Other things are not obviously sin. Sometimes they're not even sin, right? Depending on the situation. You know, cheating on your spouse, definitely. Spending on a lot of, a lot of money isn't blame, blatantly sinful. It's okay to buy new clothes or buy a new car. You know, it's okay. It's, it's not sinful automatically. But then you have to get into the details. Like, you have to get into the background of why you did it. Did you really need it? Like, was it really time to get rid of your old car? Who remembers the first car, by the way? I, I'm pretty sure no one's going to raise their hand in agreement with me right now. My first car was a Daewoo. Raise your hand if you ever had a Daewoo. No, be quiet. We're going to have a conversation after this. Really? I had a Daewoo Lanus. That was a confusing thing when I would, I would never see a Daewoo anywhere else. I would only see Daewoo on like stereos and then huge, uh, like a huge machines that would, you know, I don't know, like bulldozers, stuff like that. I saw Daewoo there, but I remember that first car. But going back to the point, was it really time to get rid of your old car? Or were you chasing something? Was it really time to get rid of your old car? Or were you just chasing something? 
Did you really need all those new clothes or were you just chasing something? Maybe chasing a feeling of happiness. Did you really need to quit your job or were you running away from something? It's not always bad to quit your job, by the way. It comes down to the details of your heart that only you and God really know. But could it be that you quit because you weren't feeling happy at the moment all the while you really should have stayed? Now, it's too late now to worry about it. If you already quit, don't worry about it. Just in the past. I'm not saying this to mess with you. Just future reference. Think about it. I have an example to share. When I first began teaching in school, um, I wanted to quit every day. Like, I wanted to quit every single day because I felt like I was failing. I felt like I was doing a horrible job. I didn't feel like a good teacher. I felt like I was failing. I wanted to quit. I wasn't happy. I was very unhappy. If you're going to call it, I was very unhappy. And I talked to God a whole lot during that time. Like, I, I wish I could look, look at, like, my prayer life. And if we can put it in some type of um, um, chart or something, you would see a whole lot of prayer during that time of my life because I was praying all the time. Like I, was, I was praying while I was teaching because I felt like I was failing. But thank God through prayer, I was able to understand something, although it wasn't how to be a good teacher yet. I wasn't understanding that yet. I wasn't there yet. I understood this truth that quitting was not the solution. I knew I had to give the job a chance. I had to give the job a chance. This is the job that I prayed for before, and I counted as a blessing when I received it. And now I was ready to give up on it because I was unhappy. I was so ready to quit, to quit and give up on it because I wasn't happy. I understood that quitting was going to change the circumstance. This is the lesson I understood, and I, I give glory to God for this 100%. I understood that quitting was going to change the circumstance, but not the lesson. It was going to change the setting of the story of my life, but it wasn't going to change the moral of the story of my life. In other words, if I would have quit my job and gone to another job, eventually in that other job, I was going to still deal with the same thing that I was dealing with in the first place. I was going to run into those fears and those doubts and those feelings of inadequacy, feeling like I was a failure, feeling like I, was in a, I wasn't doing a good job. I was going to deal with that again, just in a different setting. I was changing the circumstance. And thank God I didn't. Thank God I didn't. My prayer became this. My prayer became, God, I know you gave me this job. I know you gave it to me. I don't want to uproot myself from where you planted me. You planted me here. I don't want to uproot myself. Because if I uproot myself, I'm planting myself somewhere else on my own. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. So my prayer became this. Please, either you move me from this job. Yes, I put that in the prayer. Either you move me from this job or make me good at it. Either you move me or make me good at it, but I'm not going to quit. And I had to pray that prayer every single day of my life. I promise you, multiple times, all the time, actually, all the time. And I prayed that either you move me or make me good. And over time, I saw the growth. Eventually, I started feeling like a good teacher. Can you believe it? I started feeling like a good teacher. And guess what? I was no longer unhappy. My circumstance didn't change. My circumstance didn't change. But over time, I started growing. I felt like a good teacher. I was no longer unhappy. It's crazy to think this, but I've been in this job for actually 15 years now, and I thank God I didn't quit. Like, it's crazy to think back. It's been 15 years now, and I thank God I give God all the glory that I didn't quit. See, in this pursuit of, oh, you're going to clap? Oh, I'll take that. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, in this pursuit of being joyful or feeling happy, Many of us believe that the answer is found in our circumstance, but that's a trap. That's a trap because circumstantial joy only lasts for a moment. It's like eating sugar. First, you get that sugar rush, and then what comes right after the sugar rush? 
The sugar crash right away. When you're chasing the feeling of happiness through your circumstance, it only lasts for a moment. Then you need a new circumstance to make you feel happy again. So the question is this. Think about it. What's something you've done that made you feel happy, but it was only a temporary fix? You don't have to tell me. You can just think about it. What's something you've done to make you feel happy, but it was just a temporary fix? A lot of times, I heard a laugh. I'm really wondering what that laugh was about. A lot of times, the negative consequence lasts much longer than the temporary feeling you're looking for. I mean, I think we all, we can say amen to that. Like we all can be in agreement with that. A lot of times the, the negative consequence outlasts that temporary feeling that you were looking for. The answer to joy is not in your circumstance. That would be way too fragile of an answer. Way too fragile. This is Paul's message of joy. The big difference between unbiblical joy and biblical joy is this. It's in the source, like I already mentioned. Unbiblical joy depends on your circumstance. Biblical joy depends on your attitude. It's very, very different. Unbiblical joy depends on your circumstance. Biblical joy depends on your attitude. Let's read about what he says here in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to drink some water because this is a long reading. Ready? Okay. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 11. He says it right from the start. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. I feel like that part should always be said like really strongly and loud because it's, you know, it's something we hope, I I might have to do that right now just because... I just feel it like, therefore God exalted, his, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our hope, isn't it? Like, that's our hope. That's what we love. That's the heart of our, of our faith. Some translations say to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus as we just read. Other translations actually say, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. But I'm an NIV guy, so I stuck to the first one. Either way, Paul is showing us that as believers, the source of our joy comes from within us. It comes from the inside. It's an internal source, not an external source. It's an internal source, not an external source. Paul's telling us to be like Jesus. He's saying, look. This was Jesus's attitude. He's God. But for the sake of others, Jesus added onto his nature something that was not his nature, something that was less than his nature, less than his godly nature. He added on, and um, I'm sorry, he added on to his godly nature, a human nature. This demonstrates an attitude of humility, humility towards people because he took on a human form. And humility towards Father God as he remained obedient to God's plan every step of the way. 
obedient to the point of death. Paul is setting up this understanding. Joy begins with humility. Joy begins with humility. And you might wonder how. Like, wait, what are you talking about? How does joy begin with humility? Where's the joy in that? Where's the joy in humility? Biblical humility means this, to be poor in spirit, to recognize your great need in God because you're spiritually bankrupt, to be poor in spirit, to recognize your great need in God because you are spiritually bankrupt. That's biblical humility. Humility precedes joy because it takes you out of the center. It takes you out of the middle. It takes you out of the most important part of your life. An attitude of humility shows that you recognize that you're not all that in a bag of chips, like Pastor Femi used to say back in the day, whoever remembers that. You're not all that in a bag of chips. That's what humility is saying. I recognize this. I'm not. Humility means that you realize it's not all about you. In fact, Humility means that you recognize it's really all about God. It's all about God. You know, the Purpose Driven Life book by Rick Warren, I'm not like promoting it, but I just have to call it out for a second because there's something I really love from it. The very first line in that book, anybody ever remember? Does anyone ever remember? It's not about you. Right away, it's not about you. That's the hard truth that we have to come to come through, go through first before we, we meet God with God, right? It's not about you. It starts with humility. It's having the right perspective of who you are. It's not making yourself so small that you're unimportant. It's just realizing I'm nowhere near as important as God. It's humility. It's putting God in the right place in your life and putting yourself in the right place too. See, it might not seem like a big reveal that we have to be humble towards God, but the question is, are we? I mean, you might know you have to be humble towards God, but are we, am I, are you really, are you really humble towards God? Do you put God's will above yours? Do you submit to God's word and give it authority in your life? It's easy to tell ourselves we're humble towards God, but humility towards God includes humility towards other people. It goes hand in hand. One comes with the other. Paul says it in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Am I doing something wrong? I'm sorry, guys. Is that me? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This was the attitude of Jesus. He humbled himself towards God and towards others. Joy begins with humility. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Verses four through seven, and this is another very popular scripture in this book, and it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 4, Paul clearly tells us these things. He's clearly telling the people to rejoice, obviously, which is to be joyful, in the Lord, which is in Christ, and always, no matter the circumstance. So rejoice to be joyful in the Lord, meaning in Christ, 
And always, no matter the circumstance. Can you imagine Paul writing this in his situation? Can you imagine him writing this letter, these words? This man had a guard at his door 24-7. He wasn't allowed to leave his home. He was awaiting trial. He didn't know if he was going to die or not. Death was always around the corner. There was always that possibility of him being killed. Yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul's saying to keep your joy in the Lord. And this keeps proper perspective. He follows up with the evidence of joy and the reason for our joy. The evidence of joy, the evidence of our rejoicing is being gentle. Now, this gentleness isn't softness. It's not being soft. What he's saying here when he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, he's saying this. He's saying you're at ease. It means you're calm. You're at peace. You're gentle. Why should we rejoice and be gentle? Because the Lord is near. Now, Christians have been saying that the Lord is near for 2,000 years, right? We've been saying this ever since, you know, Jesus was resurrected. We've been saying he's coming back. He's near. What does that mean? Remember two things. There are two things I want to point out. Number one, for God, 1,000 years is like a day to us. He doesn't live within the confines of time. So 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, that's nothing for God. But secondly, when the scripture says that the Lord is near, it's not only referring to time, It's also referring to distance. If I'm right next to you, that means I'm near you. I'm close to you. So Jesus can be right next to us, near us, in distance as well. In other words, he's right by the door and can enter in at any moment. His second coming is close in distance. And in this, we should rejoice. Our joy should be found in this, that he is coming back. And why? Because this reminds us of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. For the Christian, looking back at the cross gives you a past reminder to rejoice. On the cross, what did you do? You laid down your burden, your baggage, your guilt, your sin, your worry, your fear, your control, your pride, your pain. You laid everything down on the cross. So that's something that you can look back to and rejoice. But the the cross is deep with riches that you can dig into forever. It gives you this thing that you can look back to for, for rejoicing. But it also gives you a future reason to rejoice. Because when you look to the future, you realize the cross completely altered your eternal destiny, your eternal residence, to dwell in the presence of God forever. I want to talk about this for a little bit because it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult for us to even Think about what Bible, what heaven really is, but we can see what the Bible says about it. So as I describe it, as I describe what the word says about heaven, just try to think about it. Imagine it. Pretend to experience heaven right now. And we can't fully grasp the idea because it's beyond us, but just try. Listen to this. Ready? The Bible says in heaven, we will be given new bodies with no imperfections. You can think of a thousand imperfections in your body right now. You know, I can think of mine. You can think of yours. We see it. We know it. You're going to have a new body with no imperfections. No sickness, no death. No hunger, no thirst. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain. Everything will be made new, even the earth. We'll eat from the tree of life, restoring things back to the Garden of Eden, and we will see God face to face. When you think about that list, you can't even really imagine it. You can't even fully understand it because it's everything that we live right now. You know, it's the opposite of everything we live right now. We live with the imperfections. We live with the pain. We live with the guilt. We live with the consequences of sin, the sickness, the death, the hunger, the thirst. We live with the tears. We don't see God face to face right now. 
in heaven, we're going to receive all of that. So the, the cross gives us a future reason to rejoice as well as a past reason to rejoice. And then finally, God is so good to us that on the cross, because of the cross, we even have a present reason to rejoice because through the cross, through Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So you have a past reason of rejoicing, you have a future recent reason of rejoicing, and even now a present reason to rejoice. This is why Paul can say, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And the other verse speaks about God's peace. Another verse I want to touch on, 4-7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Earlier I said, it's no secret that we're supposed to be humble towards God, but the question is, are we? Are we actually humble towards God? This verse is a great test for it. It's a really good test for it. Are you willing to lean on God even when you don't understand the circumstance? Humility towards God is recognizing your great need for him. It's putting God's will above your will. And that's a daily battle, I might add. That's a daily battle. That's not something that you just decide a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, when you first came to Christ. That's something you decide every single day, multiple times in a day. Is it God's will or is it my will? You do it all the time, all the time. And if someone tells you different, they're lying. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, we hear verses so often that we take it for granted. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because it speaks of this very thing. It's constantly putting you on check. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. That's not, that's not something that, you, that just happens naturally. You don't just naturally trust in God no matter what you're going through. That's something that you have to decide from within. Trust all your heart, submit. Those are strong words. Those aren't light words. Can you trust in God when you're in the middle of something you don't understand? Submitting your will to him, believing that he knows best. Can you do that? If you can do that, God offers his peace to you in the middle of it. And this is the same peace that Paul had as he wrote this letter. And if you can do it, you can have it as well. It's the easiest way to to test your humility towards God. Is it God's will over yours? even when you don't understand what's going on, no matter the circumstance. Can you say to God, I don't need to have the understanding right now. I need you. I don't need to have the control of what happens. Lord, you be in control. I don't need to have, I don't need to be in the center. Lord, you be in the center. I don't need my will to be done in my life. Lord, your will be done in my life. Can you say those things? Can you say that to God? And if the answer is yes, then you can agree with what Paul says next in verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I love that verse. What Paul's referring to there is in everything, in all the things I'm going through, I can still keep this joy and this contentment. Paul was able to see this, say this. It was his secret of keeping his joy. He learned to be content in every and every 
any and every situation. His circumstance didn't determine his contentment because his contentment didn't depend on the circumstance. That's a tongue twister, by the way, but it's important to say. I want to say it again. His, I forgot it already. There you go. His circumstance didn't determine his contentment because his contentment did not depend on his circumstance. It's not what made his joy. It's not what helped him keep his joy. Paul was depending on the strength he found in Jesus. He had an attitude of humility. He was completely dependent on Jesus. Therefore, he kept his joy no matter what he was going through. Even while imprisoned, ready to die for his faith, he was able to say, honestly, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He could say that honestly. His joy didn't come from an outward source. It came from within. It came from somewhere inside. And I'd like to mention, too, Paul wasn't just making a mental effort to be positive, you know, to be joyful. It wasn't just positive thinking. It was others thinking. It wasn't just positive thinking. It was other. He wasn't just convincing himself, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful. No, it was others thinking. His thought was first in Jesus. And then consequently, it was also in others. It was also in others. Paul thought of Jesus first, then he thought of others. He had an attitude of humility towards God and consequently towards people as well. So just a couple of things I want to say, and then we're wrapping it up. We can always keep our joy even during our suffering. If our attitude is the same as Jesus' attitude, which is humble. And there are two quotes that I, I want to make that uh, remind me of this so, so much. Now, Pastor Gary, uh, many years ago, many of you might remember this teaching, said this in a teaching that was specific to this very lesson. And he said, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Notice how this completely ties up everything we're learning from the book of Philippians. With humility, you know, you can get that joy. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. It's an attitude of humility. And the last one I want to say is this. It's actually from a pastor that's not from here, Pastor John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We glorify God the most when we rejoice in him. The ultimate goal in life is not to be happy. Yes, God wants you to be happy. That's not the most important goal in life. The most important goal in life, the most, you know, the, the, the purpose of life is to glorify God. And the amazing thing is through glorifying God, guess what? You can find joy. You can find the happiness you're looking for because you're going through it the right route. And it's not going to be a temporal one. It's not going to be something that's temporary that doesn't last. It's going to be something that's eternal, that lasts forever. And we can find that when we glorify him first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this book, the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the people of Philippi. We thank you for the examples that we see in the scripture. First, we see the example of the church of Philippi, their obedience, their willingness to stretch themselves and act out this humility as they gave to Paul, as they sent a servant to support Paul during this time, you know, him being in prison. 
We saw the example of the church of Philippi. But we also, Lord, we also see the example of Paul. Through even, even through his suffering, Lord, he still kept that attitude of humility, which led to his joy. That's what allowed him to be joyful, even through all of his suffering, even through all the hard times. And we know that's a great example for us, Lord, that we can look at and recognize as, a, as the holy way of walking. But Lord, we also see the perfect example in you, Christ. As chapter two explains, that we should have the attitude of Jesus who made himself nothing. You made yourself nothing, Lord. You being literally God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing. You brought yourself down to this earth humbly, adding on to your godly nature, not giving up your godly nature, but adding on to your godly nature, a nature that's less than, a human nature. You took on our, our body as, as, as a robe and said, I'm joining you here. And I'm doing this for your good. There's nothing to gain for it from myself except for suffering and pain and servitude. But I'm doing it humbly for your sake. That was your attitude, Lord. That was your attitude towards us. And that was your attitude towards Father God. When you said, I'm going to be obedient to your plan. And you did it all the way through. You never stopped short. You went all the way through even to the death, even to death on the cross. Thank you for your perfect example, Lord. I pray that we may have this humility as well. I pray, Lord, that we may have an attitude of humility where even when we're going through things that are difficult, even when we're going through things that we don't fully understand, we can lean on you, God, and say, I trust you. Even though I don't understand what's going on, I can trust you, my Lord. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on you because I know you know best. I know that I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm broken. I'm poor in spirit. I need you. Lord, this is where many times we start chasing things that we don't need because we make this pursuit of happiness the ultimate goal in life. And when we make that the ends, everything else becomes a means. Everything else. And even a lot of those things end up being sinful things that lead to that end. And it doesn't matter in our eyes because we're looking for that end of being happy. But it takes us down the wrong route, my Lord. So I pray, God, that you help us, Lord. Help us have that humility towards you. And we know that through that, we can find a true joy, a true joy in you, my King Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.